I'm your webinar host, Professor Michael Hartman. Our webinar series examines how leadership, governance, and innovation best practices are evolving in real time, and what this means for boards, senior executives, and emerging leaders. If you've been in these discussions with, uh, with me before, you know that uh, the setup is an informal conversation with my guests, where I ask them to reflect on three simple uh, yet complex questions. First, to comment on what they have come to recognize as best practices and principles in their areas of expertise and interest. Uh, second, to share their insights on how board directors and executives are trying to apply these practices and principles in, as I've mentioned, the current environment. So what are the workarounds? What are organizations people giving more priority to, perhaps less priority to, um, and what are the changing needs? And finally, to speculate a little bit on what might be the new set of practices uh, once we emerge into some semblance of the new normal, uh, whatever that new normal would look like at some point. So with that, I'm gonna stop sharing my slides. We're a PowerPoint free zone here. It's gonna be really just a dialogue. Those of you who don't know my colleague, uh, Carl is the director of IBM Global Design Leadership and Academic Programs. Uh, he assumed his worldwide leadership role at IBM in 95, where he led the company's hardware, software, and service designers who designed everything from the digital systems for the Olympic Games to the first commercial products using the IBM Watson Cognitive Computing System um, for healthcare. So a fascinating journey within IBM, uh, which continued in 2012. Carl helped architect a powerful new design-led strategy direction. Uh, under uh, then-CEO Gene Rometty, really focused on differentiating, um, helping to update the client experience using a framework called IBM Design Thinking, which focuses on understanding clients deeply, rapid innovation and iteration, and delivering client-focused outcomes. He conducts workshops to train IBM uh, service executives and staff on the framework and conducts sessions with C-suite and other execs from leading organizations around the world. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, Carl is also a DeGroote industry professor and regularly teaches in the programs that I cited up front, including the uh, Director's College, uh, where he's set to deliver a session, I think Carl this Saturday, uh, design for boards. I did wanna ask a sort of an opening question and I, I will get into an introduction of my second guest uh, shortly. But I wanted, uh, Carl, maybe just to uh, kick things off and uh, share with us what exactly is uh, design thinking? I mean, by and large these days, everybody's heard the term sort of bandied around. So what is design thinking and what value is this approach, particularly to a, a, a board in this current environment? So Carl, maybe with that, you can kick things off. No, that sounds, sounds great, Michael. And thanks so much for inviting me and, and hello to all of the, all of those of you who may have been in sessions that I ran before, which I hope this will be some review of and some new ideas as well. So yeah, so, so I want to make a distinction first between design and design thinking. There's really a confusion that a lot of people have about these terms and Design is what designers do, uh, and that's visual designers, user experience designers, uh, user researchers, content designers, etc. They're actually crafting and creating something, an experience uh, for, for a user typically. Design thinking is a set of practices that designers also use, but that anybody can use to really deeply understand a problem 
and radically collaborate together, um, not necessarily only de designers, anybody, including boards, of course, can use these methods to very quickly and very uh, deeply um, get insight into challenges they want to address, um, throwing out and using um, workshopping methods. And uh, we're used to doing those in person uh, with post-it notes and Sharpies on walls, uh, on, on whiteboard walls normally. But uh, that's all pivoted for anybody that's doing these these days with uh, digital equivalents of those. We typically use a tool called Mural uh, to do that. But what are those tools really good for? Very quickly getting input from and ideas from a number of people that um, you want to bring together. And the more diverse that group is, the more likely it is that you're going to get creative you know, outcomes. So you basically start with deeply understanding the how might we statement that you start with. Basically, how might we do something differently? Once you have that, you go and do some user research, and that can be either really detailed and organized, or it could just be talking to a few people to get insight on a particular challenging area. Then identify out of that a summary of what those people are that you're trying to change um, and improve a situation for. Understand how they do whatever it is they do today and what areas of, of uh, what they do today that you want to improve. And then you're ideating or coming up with brilliant new innovative ideas and everybody contributes to that. Um, and then you work through some exercises to come up with what might be the most uh, optimal ideas to pursue, things that are both really directly impacting the how might we statement or the, the, the particular problem you're solving, as well as the ones that are most, you know, reasonable and, and, and uh, um, time-wise be able to, 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 to deal with in a, in a, in a decent uh, um, sort of timeline. And then you want to uh, actually start to put together what the solutions might be for doing that very thing. Now, you can use those methods when you want to create a product. You can use them to create a service. You can also to use them as board members of taking any challenge that you have and rather than having a board meeting of everybody watching PowerPoint slides, you can actually do this level of, of collaboration to work your way through some challenges, come up with some really innovative ideas to pursue, and then actually use those ideas to be able to actually prototype uh, what might be a new direction to go. Um, I should mention that many of you probably also have heard the term before, and many of you also probably have a mistaken notion of what design thinking is. A lot of the time when we work with clients, we end up with realizing that they're not really doing design thinking, they're really doing what I call innovation theater. They're only doing the workshopping piece, which is they didn't really understand the problem to begin with, they just started to make stuff up about that. Um, they didn't really intend to prototype or have anything come out of the other end of it. And a lot of the time when people just do that, they come back with thinking that these methods weren't really that effective. Well, if you do them right, they can be incredibly powerful and effective. I mean, on our teams, if anybody is discussing anything for longer than five minutes, we start to use design thinking to really improve upon that. And I'll add one final thought, and that is that a lot of the time when you start to do this work and you're trying to solve a problem for today, that isn't solving the whole problem. 
you also need to make sure that you're designing something that will last for a long time that also is factoring in things that might happen into the future. And I think we're going to go down this path a little more and talk about kind of the addition of foresight or strategic foresight or uh, speculative futures, a variety of, of terms uh, about it, where you're not only just designing for the solution for the today problem, but you're actually trying to think too about what kinds of things should be aware of, how could the future change, and what kinds of things could we be anticipating with regard to that as well. And the one method that we incorporate directly into even design thinking without necessarily even going into the full foresight methods that I think Marianne's going to talk about as well is uh, what I call a pre-mortem, where, where the team thinks that they've now got this great you know, outcome, right? this great new innovation, whether it's a board, whether it's a product. And what we say to them is, okay, it's now, imagine yourself, it's now in the future, a year in the future. What you just came up with as an idea totally failed. I mean, it was just a disaster. Why did it fail? You work back from that, and you start to then identify what kinds of things should you be anticipating so that you don't end up with unintended consequences. There's much of what we experience, what companies have made decisions on where they didn't anticipate appropriately what the situations could be or the misuse of a lot of you know products and services and the like so that's an addition that is sort of future uh, uh, for foresight uh, um, sort of view uh, built into even the core methods of, of design thinking Carl, if, if i can make a, just one quick link as well so um so uh, why would boards uh, be interested? Why would they, uh, why is design an interesting methodology? And, you know, things we've talked about, that, it's probably two that I would put to you. One is, you know, uh, uh, um, another buzzword, but wicked problems. Mm -hmm. You know, problems that you can't look at what's the protocol, how have we done it before? They're complex, they're ambiguous, there are lots of stakeholders. And uh, design is particularly suited to navigating through a wicked problem in terms of approaching it. And the other that I would, uh, would put out there is um, what you call, you know, uh, the knowing doing gap. So, uh, you know, some organizations are very good sitting around the table and say, we know we should be doing this, um, but they fall down on the execution. And design is a very good method to get people around the table to think about how do you move from knowing actually into execution. So maybe just a quick comment yeah. on those no, those are really good observations. And I think that ultimately everybody's dealing with incredible complexity. And right now, especially during COVID time, nobody knows the answers. Everybody knows that there's a, a, a lot of challenges you need to, to work through. So if you think that you know the answers, you have to probably question yourself and say, do I really know what I'm doing? A good example right now is even declaring whether companies should be going back to work. Right, whether their employees should be coming back to work. Um, universities are making that decision as well and, and boards of universities as well. And what we need to do is not just sit there armchair wise and decide, we need to, as you would with doing design thinking, understand first and meaning go talk to the students, go talk to the faculty, go talk to your employees, go talk to even the executives of, of your company um, whether, you know, what their views are, you know, on this, and then also anticipate 
what might happen down the path. Like, so as a good example, uh, Shopify in, in, uh, has decided that they're going to permanently uh, work from home. Uh, they're going to close their, close their offices. Well, okay, that, that, uh, I know that there's going to be some employees that are not going to be you know, happy with that outcome. They really want to be in, uh, in an office. So that's going to change your, your um, uh, employment sort of profile. Um, on the other hand, uh, it's also the case that you're, you know, limiting your future uh, directions, but you're probably saving a whole lot of money too on, on, on real estate. So there, there's just so much riding on virtually every decision, every board and every, every uh, senior team is actually working on right now that you can't afford not to use these kinds of methods um, given the, the, the severe, you know, risks you're gonna run if you make a wrong decision and you know, as we'll talk about next, I think, you know, there also isn't only one outcome uh, and one decision to make. There's going to be a variety of, and you have to have in your mind what those alternate directions or those alternate scenarios might be, because you might need to have to pivot back and forth. And right now, everybody's having to do that. And so I think that there's a huge value in using these methods for that, including the, the foresight ones as well. I'm going to be bad on this. I've got one more quick question for you, Carl. Okay. Just a bill. And sorry, Marion. I will we'll, we'll move to uh, to a foresight discussion shortly. But my other question is, um, um, in, in an environment uh, which we're in right now, and where uh, competitive use from competitive advantage is very fleeting, um, organizations can replicate the, the the approach, the business model of, of competitors quite quickly. What's hard to replicate is the stickiness that you can construct with your, with your clients and with your customers. And design, again, um, my sense is design really unpacks how do you build that robust relationship with your customer or your broader clients, that's fair. Yeah, yeah in fact, I've done a number of sessions with C-suites and, and, and some with boards as well on this whole topic of how do you differentiate yourself, right? And a lot of the time the differentiation is not big in certain markets. Uh, there are very few uh, differences. And the way that you can differentiate is deeply understanding your users, uh, even in this climate right now, uh, knowing more deeply um, uh, what the opportunities might be where you can differentiate yourself, but also inside your own company as well, understanding your staff, understanding your, the management team, and really figuring out you know, even from a, you know, the profiles of certain types of, of, of leaders are appropriate in certain type, certain times. And right now, this is a, a particular time that requires a certain type of leader. And it may well be that the board needs to rethink who actually is uh, uh, leading the company or the organization right now. And are they, do they have the characteristics that are appropriate for leading in times like we are experiencing right now? And the way that you get that is to empathize deeply and to be able to step back and use these kinds of methods we talked about to get insight into possible directions you could go. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carl. Lots of uh, follow-ups discussions, I think, on this. But, but our, our second guest, uh, Mary Ann Jackson, who's joining us from our home in uh, Oakland, California, um, has over 30 years' experience as a C-suite executive and executive consultant for public and non-public organizations uh, putting Marianne in the boardroom with many of Silicon Valley's uh, distinguished uh, directors. Uh, she's been on the staff to the board of directors at Logitech, 
SanDisk, Palm, Blue Shield of California, Nextdoor, and Glide Foundation, um, where she's assisted these organizations in improving their competitive uh, ability uh, by addressing issues around the intersection strategy, structure, business practice, talent, um, and some of her executive positions uh, were at AMD, Sun Microsoft, SGI, Cisco, and certainly eBay. eBay. Um, and her work has included startups, mature businesses, uh, hyper-growth companies, so a wide range of experience. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Marianne is also on a number of boards, including uh, currently the board of the Institute for the future, which is where we met many years ago when I was trying to get an understanding of what is this thing called strategic foresight and what value does it potentially bring to organizations and boards? So uh, a similar question to, to Carl's, what is strategic foresight? And again, why is this relevant and a valuable strategy, particularly in, in the current moment? I'm, I'm, I'm going to make comments through the lens of um, really from a human resource executive, a lot of years practicing organizational development, but that, you know, but being in the room with on staff to um, board of directors for a long time. I want to zoom out for a minute and step back and kind of submit that what I think we have to kind of accept first is context is decisive, right? The context matters. Right. And the context for a board of directors, I think, has has attempted to shift. I think there's competing pressures, but the context of for the, the environment which a board operates has been expanded and the expectations are growing. And I don't know that that's uniformly being accepted or actually kind of figured into the practice. But, you know, what is the contemporary responsibilities of a board of directors today? whether private or public, you know, beyond kind of the fiduciary oversight of the kind of quarterly financials, right? We are, we've said this for years, that the board's almost bigger than that responsibility is value creation for the long-term, right? Um, risk foresight and mitigation, um, reputation management. I mean, I think that has been less, you know, historically, part of what a board takes on. And now it seems to be the source of surprise, right? So, um, and along with that reputation management is being required to be more public about um, kind of what are your policies and around social responsibility, way beyond charitable giving, mm -hmm. not sufficient anymore. The, you're getting, being asked to take a stance. So if you're, you know, and I will just like maybe sum up one of the things that I think the pressure is there, but we don't know how to kind of navigate it is avoiding short termism and kind of what has that brought or what has that left on the table. So if a board's responsibility is to advise, advise, to provide counsel, to provide oversight, and the context has shifted, then how would you rethink um, and using the tools of both design thinking and strategic foresight, because you couldn't possibly, given this context, where change is coming at us faster and harder. And, you know, one of the things I was sharing earlier, um, we had a discussion at uh, the recent uh, Institute for the Futures board meeting, and she was going over, the CEO was going over the uh, current street revenue stream, right? And the interesting thing is, you know, typically people bring to the Institute very long range, you know, lofty, complex problems. What they wanted help with was help me navigate out of the, the, the today's, you know, trap I'm in. 
I am um, getting called all the time to I kind of specialize in future of work. So again, that lens of uh, human capital and, you know, in a post COVID world, what's the future of work? Well, um, they actually aren't really wanting to solve the future. They want to deal with like we got we got caught by surprise and now we have we're the urgent response. So I'm going to talk about kind of that tension between, you know, you know, when you asked, you know, what's the kind of implications going forward? I think that tension, managing that tension is, is, is huge. But, um, you know, I really liken the, the responsibility to large scale change and you have to have a systems orientation, you know, so, you know, design thinking, maybe that what Carl was describing is when you really narrow that to think it's a widget of sorts and you don't put it in its grander context is the trap. Um, boards have to have that skill. Um, you know, I used to say, I still say, organizational development's not somebody's job. It's a skill that a whole bunch of people need to have. Design thinking and strategic foresight's not somebody else's job. It's actually a skill. It's a way of thinking that a whole lot of people have to have because it matters in a whole lot of people's responsibilities. So I would say just backing up from right from the beginning is challenge the context that the board you, you on your boards are operating from. Look at the board makeup. Do you even, have you even gotten past the most rudimentary disciplines that typically a board is made up of, right? A lot of boards still don't have somebody in the human resource uh, expertise field and they can't even kind of get at some of those things. And then relook at the board agendas you know, a lot of these boards are that's a very routinized, you know, set of this is what we do this quarter and that quarter. So I just wanted to kind of back up and 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 set um, those things um, maybe as context. But I think what you're going to everybody's going to hear and it's already happening is you cannot separate design thinking and foresight. You know, work you can't separate them, and they have absolutely merged. And that design thinking goes wrong when it's not held in that larger context, when it's not systemic in nature, when you know um, uh, you're just looking at it, and you haven't moved from you know foresight, insight to action is the language we use at the institute. Kind of what Carl was saying that it's left at the workshopping level. Um, so I think maybe that's a place for me to pause for a minute. And, um, oh, well, let me just add one thing because I think people have underestimating. So design thinking has been about a collaborative process, right? And that was the big disruption was kind of bringing in the customer's perspective or employees or users, whatever. And there's been something happening in a cultural trend in the workplace and we call it the democratization of the workplace, but it's also kind of this democratization of stakeholders all over the place. And what do I mean by that? It's the new generation of voice, elder voice, voice, you know, in place. It isn't good enough to kind of do it as a focus group. That's, they're not leaving it there anymore. The requirement is actually, I expect that you actually adopt and I can see and you get back to me and you keep stay in relationship with me. You know, so this democratization is kind of this cultural expectation that I think, you know, kind of overlays over what we're talking about here. And it can be unruly or it can be beautiful. Maybe I can ask you, uh, uh... If I think about um, strategic foresight, sometimes it gets mixed up there. It's lumped in with a lot of terms. 
So uh, scenario planning, uh, forecasting. Um, and is it true that foresight, it's really a, a kind of a disciplined approach to think about like um, what are possible futures that you can find yourself in? And, and, and in thinking about those futures, how do you prepare yourself in the near term to succeed in that, in that, uh, that longer state? To a certain extent, so yeah, I'm sure Carl could weigh in on this, but I, you know, I see it as a um, kind of the evolution of scenario planning, mm. right? And then merging the two ideas because I think scenario planning missed some important specifics at times, and it was sometimes hard to get to the, you know, operationalization of that. And then design thinking sometimes missed the adoption change management of scenario planning, you know, you got to bring those worlds together. Um, but I like the way, you know, and I'm sure this isn't just the Institute uses this idea, but the, even at its most simple application is saying, what's it, what are the possible futures or the probable future or our preferred future? Even just doing a rough cut like that, mm. I think, you know, frames up um, the idea that this, there's flexibility and there's continuum of future. Right. And it's not a sim this scenario, best, worst case, you know, how we did that for years and years and years. It's, it's, a, it's a twist on that. It is. It also um, one of my favorite quotes. And I remember this came out of uh, the, uh, the from the Institute, although it was a Canadian, I think, that said it. Uh, sci fi writer. So uh, William Gibson, um, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And if there was ever a time where we uh, live in our bubbles and, and we're learning these little sort of uh, insights and innovations. And as a board, your point, Marina, is, is having the competencies on that board to really kind of look out and be open to the way things are perhaps being, being done differently mm -hmm. and realize it's not the way we've always done it sort of mindset. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the future doesn't arrive, you know, at the same speed, you know, all places and, you know, the Americas definitely know this, you know, the different bi-coastal, kind of culture and environment versus the, you know, the middle part of the country. Um, and, you know, it, the, the bad thing is that it's, it's surprising people at a much faster pace, right? And then there's different, different levels of, you know, preparedness or, or I should say muscle built to react to, to it. But one of the things Bob Johansson says, you know, and I'll kind of paraphrase this, he says, you know, the, those people that have um, kind of vision for the future will be rewarded, but those people that have certainty about how they get there will be punished. Mm. Mm. Right. Well, that's a whole other sidebar conversation given the times right now, so we won't, uh, won't go there. Um, uh, but maybe uh, there are colleagues who are not familiar with the Institute for the Future who've joined us. So maybe, Marianne, if you could also just share for us, what is the Institute for the Future? And I know they've just recently come out with their own sort of 10-year uh, uh, assessment. Yeah, um, actually, we, came, we come out for our members every year with every year with a 10-year forecast. And it's usually described in um, types of futures, you know, the future of media, the future of health, future of food, future of work, future of crime, you know, um, uh, et cetera, that kind of thing. The Institute um, has been around for a long time. It was originally part of the RAND Corporation and it was kind of an internal thing that got spun out externally as a nonprofit. And um, we retain fellows from all over the world that have a particular expertise about the future, kind of some of those futures I just you know, named off. 
and they come and do their research at the Institute. And so we kind of build out, if you will, these verticals on the future. And then um, a lot of our work is that they get, we get special requests for projects from corporations um, and, you know, a particular challenge they're trying to solve. They, they've had, you know, it's an absolute who's who of, of clients and not liberty to share. A lot of times those projects are quite um, mm. confidential, but then, you know, there's a stream of work that um, is commissioned by, you know, private consultant, you know, arrangement. Well, actually, that, that gets me to my, my uh, follow-up question to you both. Marianne, maybe to, just to start, uh, um, design has had an evolution, you know, and Carl, uh, we talked about this, you know, out of the design schools, the kind of designerly design coming into the business school curriculum in the early 2000s. And where it was still, when I'd go out uh, on behalf of my old dean and talk about design thinking, people would, you know, shake their heads and what is that? To the point now where it's ubiquitous. Everybody kind of has heard of design. Foresight, um, do you see the same process uh, having, uh, uh, Marianne, and do you see it something that in this environment will become all the more valuable to organizations? You know, I think kind of at its most rudimentary um, requirement to at least learn to pay attention to signals Mm. and to say what signals are relevant for my context, you know, for my organization or my business to be able to decide whether those, you know, make a, make a qualified guess about whether those signals actually will become, and one of the definitions of signals is that you think it will become something um, that will become an actual, you know, reality. But I just think if nothing else, you know, I think if our, our boards and our management teams can learn to pay attention to signals, um, you know, and uh, just at least bring that into, you know, even when you're kind of solving a more, you know, um, narrowed challenge, you know, that you kind of futurize that challenge by saying, are there signals out there that are telling me that I'm looking at this in a temporal way that is insufficient? But I, I do think, you know, we're stuck in this terrible dilemma. And now I think it's even been compromised. It's, it's the irony of it. The future like now seems like it's really going to be different. Like everybody I think has religion, but the the problem is that the future arrived now and we have to respond to it. And it's like taking up every cycle. Mm. One of my clients right now is eBay and I'm, I'm kind of their external thought partner for the future of work. And of course it's mostly informed by the return to work um, remote conversation about, you know, should we like, what kind of footprint should we have? And what does that mean to, you know, to mostly work remote or do we want to, you know, but that's not necessarily foresight planning. That's reacting to, you know, and the signals were probably there. Well, how do you, and I'm always curious, I mean, how can we be better at actually uh, at scanning for signals? I'm, I'm uh, uh, my little example, and it would drive my son crazy. I would constantly see something, scan the media, and I'd send him a little something. So there's something happening here that I think is really interesting in the area that you're focused in. Is it just being uh, more voracious in terms of, you know, and uh, also being mindful to look at l- lots of variety of, of inputs? 
well, I want to hear what Carl says, but yeah. you know what I do personally, and now this is some of this is going to sound a little old, but I used to scan every morning Kickstarter, you know, um, anything that had new product, um, you know, journals that kind of are, in, you know, intimating that there's a there there was something, you know, just reading a ton, talking a ton to people. Um, but then, you know, you have to also the whole, you know, the notion of gaming, you heard the term gaming for grit, you know, Jane McConnell, who, who studies gaming and the skills that's giving relative to foresight and problem solving, because you can put yourself in a dangerous future, pretend, you know, and, and build out those, those skills. So even just recently at the Institute's um, annual conference, every morning we started off by doing a five minute foresight exercise of imagining ourselves in a particular future, which you, you guys just said that would imagine, you said, they're called, imagine this doesn't work at all. And you said the pre-mortem, right? In a way it's, it's kind of those, those kinds of skills. So that's what I do, what the Institute does, it actually has, if you're a member, we have a very large database of signal tracking, hmm. you know? And so the people, you know, that's now, now we're getting kind of evidence-based and fact-based instead of kind of, you know, a little bit just more, you know, perceptual. Um, so I'll, I'll be quiet there, and I'd love to hear what Carl, yeah, Carl answers that. Carl, please. Yeah, I, I wanted to build on that. I totally agree with what you said, Marianne, that I think the way I would characterize it is that boards and pretty well everybody has to open the aperture is the, the, the concept that I like to, to think about, that we used to be able to just look at a few data points, and the you know things didn't change that much. You know, Now we're in this this time period that I think is not going to change in the sense that it's going to be constant change. And so I think you need to open the aperture in terms of what you look at. You need to know what kind of signals to be looking at uh, and, and be, uh, as Marianne said, be diligent at using these methods. And there's a whole lot of, we haven't done justice to all of the, you know, methods of, of both design thinking and strategic foresight, but it's fundamentally uh, the guidance is to get into, learn these methods, and then practice them every day. So that when you're looking at a problem, you've got an issue that just came up on the board. What are we gonna do about this? Well, rather than the typical, you know, let's just talk about it and, some, and the loudest person in the room the opinion <laughs> uh, wins the day, that's too dangerous now. You really have to say, okay, look, what are we gonna look at? Who's gonna look at that? Who's gonna collect the data in both qualitative and quantitative data? Get the experts that are relevant to the thing that you're actually fearing is gonna impact your, your business in, in the future. Then use these methods to be able to say, not predicting the future, that's not what this is about. This is about saying, what are these alternate uh, futures uh, that we could be going in and because certain variables are going to change, and then, you know, scenario two is now going to be on. So what are we doing for scenario two? You don't want to start planning and designing for that particular alternative when it happens. You want to prepare for what that, that scenario would be. And the other thing, the uh, last thing I'll add is that we need to change the way that we educate <laughs> all disciplines uh, in design in particular and, and, and design thinking and foresight. And I'm, I'm, I've kicked off this effort with uh, uh, the, the design guru, uh, uh, Don Norman, uh, a whole new effort on uh, the future of, of, of design uh, education. And we're going through and saying, okay, let's step back using the, the words that you were saying, Marianne, let's step back from the way we do all of this and actually think about it way more 
um, holistically. Let's also think about it from the point of view that we never do anything for the here and now. We also always look at what implications there will be for the future, what unintended consequences, my favorite line, uh, that we don't get into unintended consequences if we're actually as a board having responsibility for what this company does or this organization does. Absolutely, you don't have an excuse that uh, if, if some future um, happening impacts directly on your business and you really could have thought about that as a potential, it's your responsibility to actually make sure, fiduciary responsibility, in fact, to, to make sure that you're, you've looked at that risk. The only way to look at that risk is to open the aperture and understand the problem from a broader perspective. And also to reinforce uh, Marianne's point, I think that that's not the role of any individual discipline. I think that all disciplines have to see this broader perspective. No matter if you're uh, an engineer, you got to look at the implications of the environmental implications of everything you're doing. You know, the, the, the racial implications of the way that you're actually bringing people in to use it. All of those issues are now, I think, appropriately impinging upon the decisions that boards need to make. And these methods that Marianne are talk and I are talking about are tools that you can use to sort of get clarity on uh, and then uh, make better decisions based on it. So, um, Can I just add something please, yeah. to that, Carl? Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, you, I'm sure you've heard of Bob Johansson if you kind of read any future. You know, he's been at the Institute for probably 40 years. Um, but his latest book is Full Spectrum Thinking. And his notion in that book is that even the way we've learned to categorize and the frames and the filters we have to disrupt that. Mm -hmm. that, that. That is gonna also be punitive, that if we can't kind of um, kind of quote here from him, you know, the future will be a global scramble that'll be very difficult to categorize. You need full spectrum mindset to have any hint of what's going on. It would be really dangerous to fit new uh, threats and new opportunities into categories um, that, uh, you know, where it kind of, gives you a feeling of certainty that would definitely be punished. So anyway, he's suggesting that our own frames that we bring to foresight planning, you know, and the issue of diversity is, you know, really clear, you know, that we have sometimes, you know, very rigid unconscious frames that could really be limiting our ability to think more broadly. Just three quick comments and then, I, then I ask for uh, a question for a final question for you both. That's so the three quick comments. There's a reason why we're called the collaboratorium, because it, it's this notion around looking across whatever the, uh, the domains are, the soils are, because back to signals, it's the most robust signals are those that actually can crash, kind of, uh, can, if you can hit signals that actually come across purposes sometimes. And it's a mashup of signals that sometimes lead to the most interesting solutions. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing um, for my board directors here, when you think about your, um, your role around strategy, stress testing or co-creating it sometimes, what are the strategic tools you have? And almost everybody can pull out, you know, with all uh, due respect to Michael Porter, you know, SWOT analysis and five forces, you need to complement that with some of these strategic frameworks we've discussed particularly around issues that are as complex um, uh, and as uh, connected to, the, uh, to uh, uh, your stakeholders, as we've uh, mentioned. And my third little piece, we're doing a session on innovation governance. And it used to be that my pre-read for innovation governance was watch two episodes of Black Mirror. 
And now I'm sort of pushed to say, well, what can we actually get people to think of that's forward looking that we're not already uh, engaging with directly in some ways? Um, so with that, I'm just gonna ask Carl and, and Marianne, what one takeaway would you like uh, our audience just to take back with them to their organizations, to their board? What one piece of uh, advice, Carl? I'll also play off some of the questions that are asked in the in the chat. I, I think a lot of your board members won't be thinking the way that we, Marianne and I, have been talking. Uh, they're going to be stuck in the old ways of doing things. It may also be the case that it'll be time to change up the board members, quite frankly. Um, there are times that people, certain people can change and can take these new, new directions. You know, others uh, may not. This is the time when you can't afford for an organization that you're on board for to have anybody that isn't looking at these kinds of issues we're talking about here in order to make sure that that organization is successful in the future. There's just too much change going on that the old ways of doing things just won't work. Now, I've had lots of evidence of people that looked like they were really stuck in their ways and weren't going to work differently and the like, that once we just roll up our sleeves and get working using these kind of methods, they're like total converts in terms of these. So I think the strategy is one that if you know these methods and you're, you're on you know, one member of the board, just propose, here's a challenge. Let me lead, let's, let's all stand up if we're in person, but if we're, if we're you know, in, in a digital uh, format, let's actually start to just do a little exercise to get into the, and it might be just a, an empty map exercise to understand who it is that we're, we're talking about. It might be one of the strategic foresight uh, methods just to get insight into this might be useful to be able to think about what kinds of things might be coming down the pike that we may need to attend to, or uh, insights in terms of particular um, signals that we're seeing, get the, the board to start to see the power of these methods and then even get to the point where you say, okay, we're going to do, again, if we're back in not digital, uh, do an off-site, you know, uh, uh, sort of session uh, to get going and get a professional to come in and, and, and facilitate that kind of a session. I imagine uh, Marianne probably does that kind of thing. Uh, and that, uh, uh, and, and really get that experience on, on the board, on the board, because simply dabbling or simply being frustrated that the board isn't doing, you know, these kinds of things, you, you can't afford this. You can't afford to not be looking at these kind of methods as we're living through these kinds of times. Marianne? Yeah, I probably would say almost exactly the same thing. You know, just I'll put a slight twist on it. You know, that uh, I, I'll just repeat that, um, you know, feel compelled to grow your own strategic foresight and design thinking skills and thinking that it's not a, a, a somebody else's discipline, that it's a skill set that to navigate well, to lead well, to advise well, you are obligated, in my opinion, if you're, especially if you're a board of director, you are obligated to be able to, if nothing else, spot when it's not happening, you know, because how would you risk protect you know, the, the organization, if you can't be there and kind of poke at whether they have an expanded um, context, I'll say it that way, if expanded temporally or expanded even physically to go beyond, um, you know, I, I like this, this quote that uh, Frank Spencer, I guess he's at the founder of Kedge Forward. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Um, but if you just indulge me for a second, because I think he says it all. We need to take a long-term view of everything 
from political thought, you know, this is so important right now in the US that I can't help have this resonate. We need to take a long-term view of everything from political thought to social evolution, enough that the power to shape the big picture of entire cultures and generations. I mean, in, in the US, who would have thought democracy would have been so fragile? Who would have thought this would be where we are and trying to figure out how to navigate? Well, the signals were in history, the signals of failing or changing or, or fragile democracies are in, it was in South America, it was in other countries, you know, pay attention, expand your, your view, expand your context, learn the skills, poke, prod, and, you know, just feel responsible, be a fearless, uh, become a fearless futurist. Very well said. And, and, and if I could, um, uh, to our attendees, um, we're now going to move to the second part of our discussions.